I want it all to make sense. Solomon's search for meaning. Well, you can open up your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes. We are back in Ecclesiastes. The series is called Solomon's Search for Meaning. And we're going to be in chapter 3, verse 16 today. Uh, The title of the sermon is Life Isn't Fair. Yeah, you drove in for this. Life isn't fair. Today's topic, Solomon wrestles with The big questions of life in this book, uh, he talks about in Ecclesiastes, pain, inequity, loneliness, faith, money, and today's topics are injustice, oppression, and death. Do you know the Bible deals with the heaviest topics of life? Do you know that God is aware, mindful of these topics, very aware of the problems surrounding them, and what heavy topics they are? Because let's face it, Humanity loves justice. That's why there's so many crime dramas on TV, right? The the episode starts with something wrong. Then the whole episode, they're trying to get the bad guy. And then in the end, hopefully they get him. If not, there's a cliffhanger. And you have to tune in next week because you want to see justice done. That's why there's all of those crime shows and police shows and uh, all of that, right? Because we love justice. I wa- many years ago, I watched a show. It was one of the top-rated shows. And they, they, you know, it was really awesome. And then one season, at the end of the whole season, they didn't kill the bad guy. Guess what? Ratings plunged the next season. They lost their top spot because you don't do that. Justice must be served. We know that we have a deep and abiding longing for justice. In our world, let's face it, the past several years... The, Really, there's been one long, sustained cry for justice in a variety of forms and places. It's it's sounding out everywhere. Today, in our globalized world with digital technology, all it takes is one person who witnesses one act of injustice and catches it, puts it online, one appalling tragedy, and the entire world might explode in outrage by the next morning. By sundown of the same day, Sadly, so often justice just doesn't come, and in small or medium or large cases, those wounds remain open. Life isn't fair. Life isn't fair. Your life isn't fair. Solomon reflects on that today. Now, I know often people want from the Bible something to be laid out orderly, like tell me the theology of God's wrath and mercy. And let me know when my enemy's going to pay, right? But here's the benefit of the wisdom literature. And we've been spending the whole year, last year, in wisdom literature, Proverbs, Psalms, Ecclesiastes, is it makes us sit in the tension. It makes us reflect on the problem. And listen, allow the Lord to let you sit there today. Allow the Lord to let you think about this and reflect on it and carry it because If you're not already experiencing this problem firsthand or someone in your life, oh, you'll be there. You'll be there. You'll wake up one day and you'll say to yourself, life isn't fair. And as Solomon searches for meaning, he goes there today. So let's pray and then we'll go there with him. Jesus, what do we do when life isn't fair? How do we follow you when justice hasn't come? 
When we feel powerless or overwhelmed or outgunned, when we feel, oh Lord, like something or someone is just beyond our ability to control and Lord, when life isn't fair, what does faith mean? Show us that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Ecclesiastes 3, verse 16 says this, Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man, that God is testing them that they may see that they themselves are but beasts for what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath and man has no advantage over the beast. All is vanity. All go to one place. All are from dust and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. So I saw that there's nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? So we'll get to chapter 4 in a second, but he starts off by saying, life isn't fair. He looks to the place of justice in verse 16. I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. Write this down, number one. Life is full of injustice. Life is full of injustice. Solomon is walking around and he's cataloging an honest record of life's many frustrations. He's not walking around and telling us the way life should be. He's walking around and looking, and today he goes to the courts or, you know, or the temple where, where there should be righteousness, where there should be goodness, right? He goes, he goes to the city hall, he go, you know, where righteousness should be, uh, and he sees injustice. He's taking us there. He's not telling us life as it should be. He's telling us life as it is, welcome to earth. That's what he's doing. And he's lamenting about it. We learn because of that that the Bible is honest about suffering, and we know that we're not promised a fair life. Actually, we're told to brace for the opposite. When my son was younger, he got in trouble for something. And in a rage, he stomped his foot and said, this is the worst planet I've ever lived on. Well, it's all we got. We learn from a young age that things happen that we don't think are fair. We don't know how to feel about that. Life is full of injustice. Jot this down even in places where justice is supposed to dwell. Solomon sees it. Do you see it? Have you seen this? Have you seen this as you read the paper or watch the news or in your own life, get a letter in the mail? Have you, have you seen it? Have you seen it? Have you seen that where justice is supposed to dwell, iniquity is there? Here's a, a picture of a variety of places where justice is supposed to dwell, right? Uh, courtroom, uh, Congress, City Hall, the principal's office, the police department, like these are places of just, where justice is supposed to dwell, righteousness is supposed to be done. Have you seen it in these places when justice is not done? Solomon sees it. We've all had our times in life where we realize life isn't fair. Maybe there was a teacher we didn't get along with. Maybe one of our parents was overly harsh. Maybe we had a boss who was overbearing. 
and went sideways. Maybe you've even had a brush with the law. You see, we've had these instances where we've woken up to the reality that, wow, that wasn't fair. Like, that wasn't, I didn't do that. I didn't say that. Or, or that was overkill, right? We've all had that. And it comes in a variety of places. So my daughter Ellie's a sophomore at college, and um, she did this whole online class, a sign language class, where she had to like film herself doing the sign language projects, turn it in. Well, something was wrong with the app, and so none of her work got submitted. So at the end of the semester, the um, teacher was like, well, I never got your work. She's like, what? I did it. So now she's going through this appeal process where they might say to her, okay, we trust you, or they might say you have to turn it all in again. And she's battling that feeling of, but that's not fair. I did it, and the, the tech department told me there was a glitch they found. See that? It doesn't feel fair. There are small, and there are medium, and there are large places in life where you will feel like, wait a minute, that's not fair. Some of us have had more serious interactions with the law. Some of us, even in this room, have had life-altering ordeals with, with authority figures or with the justice system. And because of that, this is a very heavy topic. When I say even in places where justice is supposed to dwell, it does not. For many people, that's opening a wound, that's opening a file, that, that's maybe opening a file this high in your life. And maybe you weren't even anticipating going there in church today. And I want to shepherd you through that using God's Word. People right now are working through Things that drive them into the court system, accidents or divorces or custody battles or criminal cases or lawsuits, you're maybe in it right now, or, or maybe it's coming, maybe something is on the horizon, you're afraid that there could be something that's unfair that's going to happen. Maybe you came through it, and now you're, you're just trying to figure out PTSD, what do you do with all of that because it was so damaging to your soul? Solomon sees it, Solomon sees it, the Bible sees it. And throughout all of history, there are examples of injustice being done where justice is supposed to dwell. What does it mean to walk by faith when we find ourselves realizing that life isn't fair? Well, he then twists the knife. Jot this down. Even in places where justice is supposed to dwell, and those with power will oppress others. Life is full of injustice, and those with power will oppress others. So he goes on in verse, chapter 4 to say this. Again I saw... All the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of the oppressed. And they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power. And there was no one to comfort them. And I thought, the dead who are already dead, more fortunate than the living who are still alive. Now he sees the worst of the word, the tears of the oppressed with no power and and those just gloating and lording it over them and destroying them, and they leave without even representation. We don't know exactly what he's seeing. In his own kingdom, he's king. Is it just the way it is? He can't micromanage everyone. Is, he was a traveler. He saw other kingdoms. Is it in other kingdoms? He just observed this uh, everywhere he went. We don't know, but he sees it. He sees the tears. And he says for some people it might feel like they might feel like they're better off dead than to go through this. Verse 3, but better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. In other words, there's the oppressed, there's their tears. Maybe it's better that, that they're in the tomb, but guess who's best of all? 
the person who hasn't even entered this world yet because they, ha- they haven't even seen it. Man, he's talking about some dire situations here. When those with power will oppress others, and he's coping with the despair of life when, when even the wisest, richest king on earth looks around and can't dry their tears. He feels powerless in his own kingdom, in the other kingdoms. He can't reach over. He can't fix it, and he doesn't know what to do about it. Throughout history, people have observed the problem of oppression and injustice. Lord Acton, long ago, famously said this, Power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Great men are almost always bad men. Solomon's good heart is rare. What can I do about this? What can I do with my power, my wisdom to lift the burden? Solomon was famous for some of his judgments when people would come in, right? And he would decide a case. But that's, that's the exception. So often when people get power, it's all about number one. It's all about them. It's all about their kingdom and their glory. And whoever they need to run over, it doesn't matter. Those with power will oppress others. The Bible is aware of your pain. Maybe you felt this way for a while. I want to make sure that I don't leave you feeling, as we get into this topic, like God is in any way indifferent or undecided on this matter. He is wholeheartedly against injustice. Solomon is not saying, well, there's a time to just be taken advantage of. The Bible is very clear that God is against oppression and injustice. He will allow it. There is a time for it. Life is unfair. But listen to what Psalm 2 says. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves And the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Listen, be warned, O rulers of earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. With trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Those with authority should be showing up to work like this. Trembling! Trembling! Because God's judgment is coming. And those who are under oppression can take refuge in God. The Bible is very aware of the problem In Genesis 18.25, Abraham had a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to ask God to his face if he's righteous and just. God was about to wipe out Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham had relatives there. The angel of the Lord was talking to Abraham, and Abraham started to intercede for this city. And Remember this famous conversation? What what if there's 50 righteous people there? You, You won't wipe it out if there's good people there, will you, God? Imagine having this conversation with God about your problem. Well, God, you won't allow this to happen, will you? And here's here's what Abraham said. To God's face, he said this, 
Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? Now we believe the theophany, we believe this was most likely pre-incarnate Christ that Abraham was talking to, meaning Jesus appearing before his time. And Abraham says, Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is right? And the answer is yes, he will. God would have spared the city. He went all the way down. Abraham didn't go all the way down to one, right? He could have. Would you spare the city for one? God will not wipe away eternally the wicked with the righteous. In Deuteronomy 32.4, it says this, The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. Hey, listen, I want you to make sure whatever you're going through, in your mind, never entertain a scenario where once all is said and done, God has been unfair to you. Listen, that will never happen. That will never happen. There might be a lot of things that are confusing and hurtful and painful, but there will never ever be a situation where you have to live forever knowing that God was unfair in what he did. So, when you're told that, when Satan plants that seed, and then you'll have to live with something unfair for all of eternity, just say, nope, I will not allow that into my mind. Because the God of all the earth will work perfect justice in time. Life is full of injustice, even in places where justice is supposed to dwell, and those with power will oppress others. Jot this down. Here's the good news. God will judge the righteous and the wicked. God will judge the righteous and the wicked. Can write that down. We're looking now back at chapter 3, and we'll look at verse 17. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked. Solomon is now preaching to himself. He's already said before this, there's a time for everything, so he knows there's a time for judgment. There's a time for justice, it's coming, and he's, and he's telling himself, I said in my heart, he's talking to himself. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there's a time for every matter and for every work. It's coming. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. Many reasons why God delays answering when his people need justice. Many reasons. One of the reasons Solomon references here is he wants us to face our own mortality. So we're dust, and we will return to dust, we're going to get to this in the third point, but death is the first punishment God has handed down to humanity, right? Originally in the garden we sinned, and so we have to die. Uh, so, so God is showing us that this world is the means to the best possible world. It is not the best possible world. This is the preview. This is on the way. We will not have perfection here. We're, we're strangers and aliens. The Bible calls this life a tent. But Jesus is preparing a place for us in an eternal home. One of the reasons why in the New Testament, right? Why, 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 why isn't God judging everyone right now? The Bible in the New Testament, it says he is patient, willing that none should perish, but that all should reach repentance in Christ Jesus. That's why God is patient. Do not resent the Lord's patience. There's many reasons why it doesn't come now, but it is coming. Now, we have to define what he means by righteous and wicked, right? Because he talks about wickedness and righteousness, and he says God will judge the righteous and the wicked. What does he mean by that? We could spend forever talking about this, uh, but generally, Micah 6, 8 is a great verse that talks about in the Old Testament what justice 
sounded like. It said that, or what righteousness sounded like. It said, he has told you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? So there's uh, civil action, there, you know, there's uh, relationships, and then there's relationship with God. It was possible to be a righteous person in the Old Testament. Generally, your life was characterized by these things. Um, there is a distinction in Solomon's theology throughout Ecclesiastes. There's the righteous and there's the wicked. The righteous are those who are committed to honoring God. And there was in the Old Testament the understanding that the Spirit would come on those, right, uh, of the heart. Uh, the, the Spirit would come on those who were truly people of faith and that they, they could be saved. They could be people of faith. But because Jesus hadn't come yet, their righteousness required an external system where they could, they could go to the temple, they could offer sacrifices, and God would provisionally use those sacrifices to wash their sins away. The Day of Atonement, for example, that gave them a righteousness. But that form of righteousness was looking ahead to when Christ would come and forever purify their hearts. So it was possible to be righteous and wicked. That righteousness showed up in a variety of ways in your walk with other people and in your relationship with God, your worship, your sacrifices. Here's the thing, Old Testament and New, the external actions didn't make you righteous. It was always by faith, always by faith that people were made righteous by God. Abraham believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. So we're saved by faith through grace, Old Testament and New, that makes us righteous before God. Please understand that maybe you grew up learning that righteousness means you're better behaved than your neighbors or your sister, right? That's not righteousness. It's not, it's not comparative. It's you have been given a standing in God's presence because of your faith in his promises. Therefore, you're rightly related to him and he forgives your sins. That's God's mercy. That makes you a righteous person. Um, Self-righteousness, meaning you think you're better than other people or you've done less evil than other people, that's not righteousness at all. The Bible calls that filthy rags. So unless we are saved by grace through faith, we are not righteous. And here's the thing. Even if you are righteous before God, that doesn't mean that you live a sinless life. It says in Ecclesiastes 7.20, Surely there's not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. So we are sinners saved by grace, made righteous by God. That's what makes us the category righteous in the Scripture. Righteousness can be used in a ceremonial sense, meaning you fulfilled your vows and brought your sacrifices. Civic, meaning you're obeying the laws. Religious, meaning you're following God's commands and you're part of the worshiping order. But when it comes to the heart, we are only made righteous by faith in Jesus Christ. In Philippians 3.9, it says this, we want to be found in him, not having a righteousness of our own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. What confidence do you and I have that we can stand before a holy God rightly related to him and his law, only that Jesus has saved us? It's nothing we do. He has done it all. In Ecclesiastes 9.3, it says this, Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that they go to the dead. Okay, here's a summary of your life. Ready? When you're a child, the hearts of the children of man, child, you're full of evil. If you have young children, you know. They came with sin built in. You didn't have to order it. You didn't have to install it. It is built into the system. Full of evil, 
then madness is in their hearts while they live. Some total of the entire life, madness. Then what comes in the end? They go to the dead. Humanity. We're born sinful. We live sinful lives, and then we die in our sin. So do you understand that when it comes to the Bible saying God will judge the righteous and the wicked, that means that you can be righteous, not by your own effort or deeds, but because God gives you something through faith in Christ. He makes you righteous. You'll still sin, but you can be counted among the righteous. You're even called a saint in the New Testament if you follow Jesus Christ. You are righteous, and God will still judge you in the end. It's different than the wicked. And if you're wicked, if you're, if you're not made righteous in God's sight, if you're just living however you want and you do whatever you want, whether you're kind of on the good side or kind of on the bad side, the Bible calls you wicked and the judgment of God is coming upon you. So God will judge the righteous and the wicked. Now that we've established that, there is righteous and wicked and God will judge them. Jot this down. On earth, the wicked may live long and prosper. On earth, the wicked may live long and prosper. Ecclesiastes constantly comes back to this idea that the wicked are going to get away with it, often on earth. Uh, it goes on to say uh, in chapter 4, right, that um, on, on the side of the oppressors, there was power. There, there was no one to comfort them. No one to comfort them. Solomon goes on in chapter 8 of Ecclesiastes to say, um, chapter 8, verse 14, he says this, There is a vanity that takes place on earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. Have you seen this? Have you seen this? The wicked person, the person who's ungodly, the person who denies themselves nothing they want. They brag, they boast, they're off on their next trip, fattening themselves up and posting those pictures online, and they're doing it their way, and they're stealing and getting away with it, you know, and they've got the, they've got the attorney. They don't have to worry about it. They're, they're not making any effort to live a righteous life, and things just keep getting better. Have you seen that? Have you seen that? Are those people in your life? You're like, how, how come they keep getting more and more? How come they're not at the doctor all the time? How come they're not summoned to the court? They're living long and they're prospering. Right? You remember Spock, right? What Spock would used to say. I can't, I can't quite do it. I could barely do it, right? Live long and prosper. He never said that to the bad guy. Okay? Because that's not for the bad guy. It's for the good. It's for the good guy. Live long and prosper. You're on my good side. You never go up to the person who's just crooked beyond belief, violent, unstable, you know, filthy, and say, I hope you live a long and happy life. I really do. I'm praying for that. Because what do you want? You want that you... If you have a heart transformed by grace, you want them to find Jesus and be transformed, right? But in, on your harder days, you're like, at least give them something to show them that they're not who they think they are. Rough them up, Lord. Like, wow, they're so... On earth, the wicked may live long and prosper. You've seen it, right? You've seen it. The Bible sees it. Jot this down. On earth, the righteous may live short and suffer. On earth, the righteous may live short and suffer. Ecclesiastes 9.1 makes it clear that being righteous or wicked doesn't determine if people are going to love or hate you. You're living a good life. You're doing it by the book. You're doing it God's way. People are going to hate your guts. You're a scoundrel. You're ripping people off. You're bragging about it. People are going to love you. There's no guarantee the righteous life will give you a, a, a cushy experience here. 
Why is this important? Well, because there's a difference between the righteous and the wicked, and the Bible admits it's wrong when the righteous don't get justice, and it's wrong when the, when the wicked get away with it. It's wrong. It's clearly wrong. The Bible is saying that. It's clearly a problem. It's wrong. But it happens because life isn't fair. Life isn't fair. And in Ecclesiastes 11.9, it says this, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. God will bring you into judgment. There are many choices you can make in life, and you might think that if you walk away from God and live um, a sinful life, you're going to get away with it, but that would be a mistake. Judgment is coming. And when you look all around, you will see people getting away with it, and you'll wonder, well, maybe I'll get away with it. And when you see people who are trying to live the good life and trying to, you know, in every way honor God, and then you see them get crushed, you're like, well, maybe it isn't worth it. Or maybe you feel like you're the only one trying to live the righteous life and all of your friends are not doing it and they seem happier than you. And you're tempted. You're tempted to be like, well, maybe this righteous path isn't worth it. Maybe it doesn't pay off. Maybe at the end of this isn't the joy and the hope that I've been longing for. In one of the commentaries I read, um, he commented on this fact in the world. He said this, the very place where most people need to receive justice turns out to be a locus of unfairness. Innocent people are convicted for crimes they never committed. They were in the wrong place at the wrong time or maybe the wrong color on the wrong side of town. People lie, cheat, steal. Sometimes they get away with murder. They have the money to hire better lawyers or hide behind the structure of some large institution to take advantage of people who are much less fortunate. It's all so unfair. Even worse, there's nothing that can be done. Injustice goes unpunished. When the halls of justice become corridors of corruption, where can righteousness be found? Solomon laments this. He reflects on this. And he just sits there for a little while and sees it. He just sits there and sees it. God wants you to know he sees it. I saw under the sun there was wickedness. In the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. God will judge the righteous and the wicked Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of the oppressed. They had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. Well, where do we go with that? Solomon leaves us hanging. He leaves us hanging. He says in verse 22, So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Cliffhanger. Cliffhanger, 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 cliffhanger. Why is this man on earth doesn't know how to end his search? He's walking around and seeing it in the court, the police station, at the school. He sees it all. He sees it all. He sees it all. He's the smartest man alive. He's the richest man alive. He wants to try and fix it. He can only do so much. And then he gets to the end of it, and he's like, (laughs) cliffhanger, cliffhanger. But we know where to go with it now. Because guess what? The question he couldn't answer, who can bring us to understand what will happen after we die? Guess what? We know a man who can tell us. Jesus called himself one greater than Solomon. Where Solomon's wisdom stopped, Jesus came down to complete the sentence. What comes next? 
You see, this is the key where we find out what to do with all of the injustice in the world. Where does it drive us? Where can we go with it? He goes all around and he's collecting all of this anguish and the tears and he goes, I don't, where do I go with it? Where do I go with it? Where do I go with it? I don't know. And what happens next? I don't know. That's as far as Solomon got. But then we know that Jesus came down. This is where it has to drive us. I'll never forget in one of my church history books, the first thing on the first page that this author wrote, he said this, Christianity is the only major religion to have as its central event the humiliation of its God. God suffered injustice. If you had to make a list of things God should have never allowed to happen in this entire world, what would get closer to the top of your list? Right? Kids getting cancer, a children's hospital getting hit by a tornado, Mother Teresa getting attacked, like, what would rise to the top? God should never allow that. God should never have allowed that, right? right? A church bus on the way to a trip gets in attack. Never allow that. God should have never allowed. What, what rises up to the highest form of injustice that God would have ever allowed in life? What, I know what number one is. Do you know what number one is? Do you know what number one is? Number one is God allowing the death of his son. The death of his son. The death of his son is the culmination of injustice in this life. It's the worst thing that has ever happened in all of human history. And God let that happen. And what came of it? What came of it? What came of it is God opened up the doorway to heaven. If he can overrule the greatest atrocity in all of human history, he can overrule anything that's going on in your life. Therefore, here's the third point, jot this down prepare for eternity. We can't let this get us away from God. We have to allow all the injustice to drive us straight to the cross. Life is full of injustice. God will judge the righteous and the wicked. So we have to prepare for eternity, which is the final judgment. Solomon talks about how death and injustice are tied together here. It's the last indignity. Verse 18, I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. This life is a test to see if you'll see that you're immortal. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath and man has no advantage over beast for all his vanity. This doesn't mean that essentially you're the same as an animal. It just means you've got the same ending. Same ending. Whatever you do, whoever you are, whatever letters you have on your resume, however much is in your portfolio, however many people you've touched and transformed, in the end they'll bury you like a bone. That's the end. Dust to dust. And what next? All go to one place. All are from the dust, and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes downward into the earth? We know that now. We know that. We know where the spirit goes. And he reasons, well, maybe the dead are better. And he's wrong. He's wrong because we know one who has power over life and death, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, you're going to die in this life regardless of how you live, whether you're good or bad, righteous or wicked. Death is coming. It's the original judgment on humanity, but it isn't the last. After death in this life comes the second death. You have to be ready for eternity when you live this life. In Ecclesiastes 8.8, it says this, No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. You can't stop it. When it's your time, it's your time. You will appear before the great white throne right? You will appear before the judgment seat of God. Christians appear before the judgment seat of Christ to be rewarded for our faith on earth. Non-believers appear so that their book can be opened and all of their deeds can be laid bare and they'll be condemned forever. 
Is your name in the Lamb's book of life? Are you a saved person? Hey, listen, this life is supposed to get you ready for eternity. Hector Berlioz said something that's a famous quote about how time is supposed to get us ready, educate us, right? He said this, time is a great teacher, but unfortunately it kills all its pupils. As time rolls on, you're supposed to get the message. Eternity is coming, eternity is coming, eternity is coming. Am I ready? Am I ready? Am I ready? And, and all of those bad things that happen in your life are going to serve many purposes, but the number one reason by tho- why those things happened in your life, the number one reason is to show you you need God's Son. You need God's Son. You need God's Son. That's why it happened. Jot this down. We're all guilty of breaking God's law, and therefore we are all unrighteous. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have broken God's law. Jot this down. And therefore, we all need Jesus to pay the penalty for our sins. 1 Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to Christ. So that we might die to sin and live to Christ. We all need Jesus to pay the penalty for our sins. Only there can our Can the the evil we've added to this world be overruled? And jot this down, anyone can be fully forgiven by God's grace. Anyone can be fully forgiven by God's grace. If you confess with your mouth, Romans 10 says, and believe in, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And it goes on to say, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Hey, are you saved? Are you prepared for eternity? Do you know the final judgment is coming? Ecclesiastes 12, 13 to 14 says this, The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. I want to close this message on how life isn't fair. We learned that it's full of injustice. God will judge the righteous and the wicked and we must prepare for eternity. And I want to talk to two groups of people. If you've never asked Jesus to be your Savior and Lord, understand that you have contributed to the depravity of this world, and in the end, you will receive a fair trial and a judgment that will go through all of your deeds, and you will be condemned. There will be justice in the end, and you'll be condemned. That's why Jesus came into the world, to save sinners. If you have never asked Jesus to forgive you, to save you, today can be the day. Today can be the day that you say, oh Lord, justly do away with all of my sin at the cross. Save me from all of it and promise me that in your courtroom I will be set free. But I also want to talk to people who are really languishing because the idea of life not being fair is something that just grieves you. There are burdens in your past that you have carried and you don't know if they're resolved. Maybe those things are over or maybe not. Maybe, maybe they follow you around. Maybe they've really crippled you in a way. And, and maybe you feel like you just want to know where to go with that after Solomon walks around and sees it all. And you're like, where do I go with that, right? Uh, maybe you're in it right now. Maybe you're in it right now. And, and you just don't know how to get out from under it. You're like, I don't, it's just so crushing. It's just so, it's just so punishing. It's just so uh, inescapable. I, I, and you don't know where to go with it. Or maybe there's something looming on the horizon and you're like, it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. This, I know this is coming. I know the way I'm going to be treated. I know this letter. I know whatever. You, like it's coming and you don't know how to prepare for what's coming. Well, I, f- I felt like 
And I didn't plan this throughout the week. This really just came into my mind this morning. I felt like I just wanted to end on a pastoral note. And I really wanted to give you an opportunity to bring your burdens to the Lord this morning. Um, we, haven't, we haven't done this in forever, but I'm actually going to invite Jesse to come on back up. Jesse, wherever you are, come on back up. And I want to give you a chance to bring your burden before the Lord in a meaningful way so that you feel like whatever it is that this has stirred up, you can bring it to him. And the parable of the persistent widow in Luke 18 is what God really brought into my mind. It says, Jesus said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? If a wicked judge who's battered down finally gives up and says, fine already, take your stupid verdict, how much more will your perfect Father in heaven, the judge of all the earth, do what is right? But does he see faith in you? So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a chance to, to literally come down to the front and pray, to, to bring your burden to the Lord. As we just give, we're going to carve out a little time for prayer here. Um, no one knows why you're coming forward. You might be coming forward to give your life to the Lord. You might be coming forward because you have a problem. Uh, you might be coming forward. No one knows. No one needs to know. But I'm just opening this up, and there's plenty of room. You can spread yourself out. But for the next few minutes, this is open, and I'm inviting you right now to get up, to come forward, to pray to the Lord. And then I'll pray over you. But right now, this is your chance. Come on forward and pray to the Lord. You can kneel if you want to. You can, you can humble yourself before the Lord if you feel comfortable with that. And just talk to God. Just talk to God. If there's a reason why you can't come forward, you feel free to just kneel down right there in your seat. Just turn around and just get low before the Lord. humble yourself. There are many online who are watching this and you can get low wherever you're at. You can humble yourself. You can bring your burden before the Lord. You can talk to him about anything.
Oh, hear the prayers of your people, Lord. Hear the prayers of your people. You've invited us to humble ourselves before you. Life isn't fair, Lord. Life isn't fair. And your people feel that. Maybe they've been holding it in for too long. Maybe they've been stuffing it down for too long. They're finally ready to talk to you about it. We don't know what you have in mind. Maybe you will take quick and severe action to overrule something before it even happens. You're able to do that. Maybe you will be present throughout a process that feels like it goes on forever. Just as you sat with Joseph in jail and he was falsely accused. But the day came for his exaltation. Lord, maybe there are some things that won't get resolved in this life, but you have promised us they will be resolved in the next. Lord, I just pray that you would bear up the burdens of your people here. Whatever it is that they're carrying, may they just leave it at your feet. May they leave it at your feet and trust you. May they trust you because the God of all the earth will do what is right. Oh Lord, receive these burdens and be faithful to us, Jesus. You endured the ultimate injustice, humiliation at the cross. You did it for us. And you overruled all the sin of the world. If you could bring a fountain of life from that bloody rock, what can you bring from our brokenness? We trust you. We wait on you. We pray all this in Jesus' name.